We want to think of parents as being mature, but today's guest says that's not always true. And in fact, she says there is a consequence when we grow up with parents who are unable to give us the emotional sustenance we need. Hello, everyone. I'm Pamela Brewer, welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk and welcoming today's guest, Dr. Lindsay Gibson. Dr. Gibson, welcome. Thank you so much, Pamela. What a wonderful opportunity this is to talk about a subject near and dear to my heart, and it's fantastic to be on your show again. Thanks for having me. Well, again, I am just really pleased. I think that the work that you do is critically important. And in fact, let me let the audience know that you are, in fact, a clinical psychologist in private practice with a specialty in working with individuals who are, in fact, adult children of emotionally immature parents, which just happens to be the name of your book, one of your books, Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents, How to Heal from Distant, Rejecting, or Self-Involved Parents. The the title, I mean, certainly says so much just in and of itself, but You know, this is not something that we necessarily want to hear. We like to believe the myth that all parents are instantly and immediately wonderful, mature, supportive. So what happens to these parents? How does this kind of parent come to be? Yeah, that is a fascinating topic. And first of all, um, to get to that, I'd like to just explain that this was an insight that came to me listening to patients in psychotherapy where they would be describing some difficulty they had with their parents or a crisis that came up or something that was, was bothering them. And I would listen to the account of the incident and I would think, oh my gosh, they're acting like three-year-olds. <laughs> and that was that was sort of the picture, the mind picture I had as I was listening to these stories. Later it occurred to me, oh my gosh, psychologically, they really are three-year-olds. So that led to the whole idea that these parents were emotionally immature and really acting more like little kids in their relationships uh, than adults. The way that they get to be that way, Pamela, I think, comes from a transgenerational process of children over the generations not getting their emotional needs met. And there's a lot of trauma and separations that occur in these past generations that then get passed down from parent to child, parent to child. So these parents are... I like to think of them as being stuck in their psychological development. They're emotionally immature because they probably did not have a safe environment themselves, free from trauma, abandonment, unmet needs. They didn't get that, so they could only go so far in their emotional development. Then we come along and we might actually end up being able to develop further than they did, emotionally speaking. And that creates this situation where you have adult children who are actually psychologically more mature and more complex 
than their emotionally immature parents who have gotten stuck back there. So I think the the first thing that that I'm hearing that I think is critically important so that we don't get stuck again is there is no blaming of the emotionally immature parent. They came to be that way through their own experiences. And it's difficult to give what you never experienced. Oh, absolutely. And the blame doesn't take you anywhere. It it sort of um, keeps you circling the drain of your own frustration. However, Pamela, I do want to say that it is critically important that a person identify and validate the experiences that they have had in response to the parent's emotional immaturity. In other words, we're not blaming the parent for being that way, but we are saying that we can say definitively, this is how their immature behavior affected me. And if you don't do that, things tend to stay extremely confused because, as you said at the very top of the show, when we are expecting them to be mature and giving and they're not, it just makes us so confused and so frustrated, and that leads to a lot of anxiety and depression a lot of times. And certainly, I know because you specialize in working with this population, the the adults themselves have so much pain that you're able to trace back in, in some measure to the experience that they had with the parents who really weren't there, physically might have been there, but emotionally not able to give, again, what they themselves did not receive. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The pain that people have, they often do not tie to these childhood experiences with a parent who was unable to give to them at an emotional level. One of the things that is kind of hallmark about the emotionally mature parent is that they're afraid of feelings. They, they get easily overwhelmed by emotion. Now, we might see them as being very emotional and even unreasonable uh, a lot of the time, but they are actually afraid of deep feelings. So when you try to have an emotionally intimate relationship with an emotionally immature parent, they will become defensive or withdraw or otherwise let you know that this is not something they're interested in doing with you. And unfortunately, this happens at an early age, too. The young child appeals to the parent for closeness or understanding, and the parent withdraws or gets angry because they just can't handle a lot of intense feeling. So they become very reactive. In response to that, the you know the the poor uh, child at this point still a child can only conclude that there's something wrong with them that their parent doesn't receive their feeling and sort of stay with them in that to comfort them or to understand them and when the parent can't do that then they become very emotionally lonely and then they grow up with this little hollow place in them where they're feeling like they're not really hooked in, they're not really authentically connected, and that also is a fertile ground for anxiety and depression later. 
You just use the the term emotional loneliness for the child now adult who has grown up with the parent or parents who are emotionally immature. Are they aware when they first come into your office that they are experiencing a sense of loss and loneliness, or do they typically come in with other identified concerns? That what what a brilliant question, <laughs> because that goes back to the discovery process of this whole phenomenon for me, and that is that when people come in, they're usually identifying symptoms like anxiety or depression. They also are having problems in their relationships, or they're not feeling good about themselves. So when they first come in, they rarely identify any of this stuff that's in my book because they really aren't consciously aware of it. That's because there was nobody alongside them, usually, that is helping them to conceptualize what's happening. Like, your feelings are perfectly fine. Of course you want comfort from your mother. It's not your fault that she's withdrawing or getting mad at you. This is her stuff. There was nobody there to do that. So people often don't make any connection between their current day anxiety or depression and what they may or may not have gotten emotionally in childhood. Um, it's, It's very interesting how they do come to that, though, and lots of times when we start getting down to you know, sort of the um, essentials in therapy, people will spontaneously say, you know, I feel, I feel so alone, or I've always had this lonely place in me. And then they do talk about it, and then we can tie it back to their experiences growing up. You just referenced mother. Is there a gender uh, tendency in terms of the emotionally immature parent? Does that parent tend to be more female than male or always female, or what are we looking at? Well, actually, no. I I think that the resilience that a child gets for living in life often gets its start in the relationship with the mother. And I might add here mother in quotes because it could be the father, it could be the grandmother. Um, So we don't want to just use that shorthand by saying mother, but I, uh, I tend to do that because the early caretaker relationship is so important. So if, if that's good, even if you have an emotionally immature, say, um, father, uh, extended family, whatever, there, there's some resilience built in if you had that good connection to begin with. So we want to um, be sure that we're taking into account that both fathers and mothers are often emotionally immature in this um, 
kind of phenomenon that we're talking about, they show up differently. Like uh, fathers may tend to be more uh, aggressive or more active in their treatment of children that's not good for children, but mothers have their own way of also um, instilling guilt or not giving the kind of attention emotionally that kids need. So I, I would say that, yeah, it could be either parent. It's usually both parents because parents tend to gravitate to partners who are about at the same emotional level as they are. So parents tend to marry who they recognize. Yes, and they recognize who thinks like them. Uh, they recognize uh, the level of emotional reactivity and the um, the way of thinking about things in simple ways as opposed to complex ways. There's a whole whole bunch of similar characteristics that they will gravitate to. So for the adult who's sitting in your office or listening to our conversation or reading adult children of emotionally immature parents, how does one begin to sort of tease out whether or not uh, what they're feeling does have a connection to emotionally immature parents? Because as you know, somebody walking in, there can be so many reasons why one might feel, for example, anxiety, depression, etc. It's not always that they were with emotionally immature parents. So how do they tell? How do they identify this? Yes, that's that's where the uh, we as therapists have to sit back and let the data lead us. But I I wrote my book because I wanted one of the possibilities to be that a person had emotionally immature parents. So you may be anxious or depressed about other things, but I really wanted to get it on the table that one of the biggest causes that I've seen can be in that early relationship, an ongoing relationship. It's interesting, Pamela, when people come in and let's say they have marital problems or let's say they're feeling a lot of anxiety, I mean, of course you let them lead the way in terms of what the problem areas are. But it, my experience has been that it's not too long before they start tying it together with their past spontaneously. Uh, like they will compare their mate's behavior to one of their parents, um, or they will um, kind of have a memory, like this reminded me of the time when, you know, and, and their parents will come in. So once they open the door to that, then we can go there and include that. Also, one of the things I do in a therapy session is I always uh, do a full history, as, as we all do, but I ask questions about the quality of relationship they had with, their, with each parent. Uh, I ask them who they were to their mother, who they were to their father, and um, ask them a little bit about well, what happened if you were upset about something when you were growing up, what happened if you did something wrong. And, and these kinds of questions get at what was the emotional relationship atmosphere that you had growing up. And that's often how we get into that. When you ask who they were to a, a mother or, or a father, what do you mean by that? Uh, another way of saying that would be what was your family role to your mother or to your father? 
for instance, they might say, um, oh, I was, I was daddy's little girl, or I was my mother's confidant. She talked to me about my father when they were having uh, marriage problems. Or I was, I was the one that my dad hit first. I was always to blame for everything. So it's getting at how they knew their parent saw them and reacted to them within the family system. You tell a story uh, very early on uh, about Wanda um, at uh, the age of seven. Can you share that story with the listeners? Can you remind me of the details of that a little bit, Pamela? Wanda was the seven-year-old girl who um, you describe her as standing by a moving truck outside of her family's old house. Uh, yeah. What right. what was going oh, on with with Wanda? Oh, that was a, a perfect example. This is one of those places where uh, people will have memory when people have memories of the quality of emotional loneliness that they had in childhood. Uh, I'm so glad you you thought of that. Because I I uh, I have so many stories in there. I get them mixed up sometimes. But this is a, a case where. A seven-year-old girl, Wanda, as, as I call her in the book, she uh, was not told anything about the move. Her family was moving. She was not prepared in any way emotionally. She just was standing outside with her parents and, and siblings by the moving truck wondering what is going on. You can sort of imagine that as an adult. I mean, Supposing that you came down one morning and, you know, your your partner says, uh, let's step outside and there's a moving truck <laughs> and they're uh, putting things in it and you're saying, what's going on? And they're saying, uh, we're moving. It's and horrifying. You know anything about it. Right. Isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. It, it's so, so jarring. Yes, it's it's it, and it's and it is weirdly disorienting. It's sort of like, wait, life is not what I thought it was, and why didn't I know this was happening? So, one of the things that uh, emotionally immature parents have real trouble with is their empathy is very poor a lot of the time, especially if there's any stress involved. So let's say Wanda's mother might be able to be empathic if she skinned her knee or if uh, maybe somebody was um, picking on her and the mother was in a good mood and she might be able to be empathic then. But when the mother is stressed, for instance, then Wanda might not get any attention. Uh, The mother might not even think about preparing Wanda for a move because she's stressed and she goes into a very self-preoccupied place. So that's what had happened with this move. The parents were, as many emotionally immature parents are, totally preoccupied with their own issues and no room in there to think about what this might be like for their child. That's a classic um, experience from childhood that results in that kind of emotional loneliness. It's like you're all there together, but because there isn't this emotional intimacy and this sort of sturdy empathy for the child, the child ends up feeling 
off balance, alone, and worried that there's something wrong with them, that they are not able to figure out how to deal with things. So it's, um, yeah, it, it, and a lot of people do relate to that incident because they feel like there were so many times in childhood where they didn't know what was going on, um, and that ends up making you feel very alone. Lindsay, we've been talking about um, the difficulties that arise uh, when your childhood experiences um, had you with emotionally immature parents. So now we're at a point where, let's say, the the individual is really understanding the impact of, of all of that on his or her life, um, but is now feeling really kind of nervous about how to make healthy decisions for themselves moving forward. So how does one begin to determine whether or not the person they're considering as a potential partner does in fact have the emotional maturity that could in fact make them or allow them to be uh, a, a healthy partner? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's a very practical question. Um, in the, I believe it's the last chapter in the book, I talk about how to identify emotionally mature partners. Um, I, I think it, it's interesting how I think people can do that even at the level of, you know, some of the dating sites, the Internet dating sites, because if you know the characteristics of emotional immaturity, you can have a lot of fun uh, sort of identifying these qualities on somebody's um, postings on a dating site. You can, you can actually get quite a lot of data by the way that they talk about themselves and their view of life. So, um, but let's, let's look at the most foundational thing that helps people choose good partners, and that is you have to be in touch with your own true self. In other words, you have to know what makes you feel comfortable, safe, loved, respected, listened to. You, if you work on your own, on getting to know your own self, and that's what a lot of my actual individual psychotherapy patients are doing, when you get replugged in with your deeper self, you have, I think we all have, unless we've got some neurological uh, impediment, but we are... We are like the animals. We, we can tell when something feels good or not. We really can. We get talked out of that inner awareness by emotionally immature people who want us to be who they need us to be. But in therapy or in self-growth, if you get back to that, you will have reactions that are negative to emotionally immature behavior. We are true nature is to be treated well, to be seen, and to enter into emotional intimacy. That's where emotional intimacy is where two people tell each other what's really going on at a deeper level and allow the other to do that back, something that emotionally immature parents have a terrible time doing because they're so defensive. They, they just can't let themselves be intimate like that. But let's let's think about okay so you're going on 
a dating site or you're meeting somebody for a blind date, how do you want to go about determining their level of emotional maturity? So one of the things would be you would be listening with those ears uh, according to some of the traits of emotional immaturity so that you can sort of get that little ping of, ooh, that doesn't sound right, or, hmm, uh, I don't know about that. That reaction is a good way of picking up on their emotional immaturity. But the traits of, of someone who is emotionally mature, Pamela, are that they're realistic, um, they're reliable, um, they do what they say they're going to do, they show up when they say they're going to show up, and they seem to have an attitude toward life where they're working with reality, not fighting it or blaming it. Uh, for instance, if they're having difficulties, they would be talking about maybe what they had learned from the situation and what they were going to do as a result of that learning in the future, whereas the emotionally immature person might be talking about who was making their life miserable and how they didn't think it was fair and on and on about the other person's failings, but they're not showing the maturity of creating a better life for themselves. Um, They don't take everything personally. For instance, they don't get huffy or offended or uh, sarcastic when you try to communicate with them. They respect your boundaries. If you say no, they accept it. Um, If you say this isn't a good time, they accept it. They don't get their feelings hurt. They don't psychoanalyze you or second-guess your decisions. That would be when a person says, oh, well, what you really mean or (laughs) what what the real problem is is that you're fill-in-the-blank. And that kind of, let me tell you what's really going on with you, that is a control move and a sign of immaturity. Um, you know, at a, at a real basic level, mature people are flexible, they're even-tempered, and they allow themselves to be affected by you and influenced by you. They listen to what you say, Uh, They take it in, they process it, and then later they let you know that they heard you. So that's a a real important feeling um, when you're talking with somebody, to be able to feel like they are there constantly in the conversation so they let you know that you were heard. If they can laugh and be playful, oh, my gosh, (laughs) that is uh, a real plus. And if you feel seen and understood and you feel safe and you enjoy them, that's, that's pretty much it. Um, I, w- I would like to add just one other thing, and that is that they, they like to comfort people and they like to be comforted so they can put themselves in your shoes and be empathic. Um, those are all qualities that let you know you're with somebody who kind of grew up all the way. Lindsay, you have given us so much to think about on such an important topic. Is there a website or a place where folks can go to get more information about you and the work you're doing? Yes. um, 
thank you for asking, Pamela. That would be my website. It's drlindsaygibson.com. That is D-R-L-I-N-D-S-A-Y Gibson, G-I-B-S-O-N.com. And there's uh, a full website there with descriptions of my books and also some uh, blogs and articles available. Wonderful. Thank you very much. It is wonderful to talk with you again. And again, I'm expecting to have you back when your next book comes out, if not before. (laughs) Thank you, Pamela. That was wonderful talking to you, and I look forward to the next time. All righty. And folks, thank you for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service, and it is not intended to replace any work that you might choose to do with a licensed medical, mental health, or other professional. Mind Talk is produced by Jim Brown and 26 by 2 Communications. If you'd like to be in touch with me, and I'd love to hear from you, the email address is p. A-M-E-L-A, Pamela, at mindtalk.org. That's M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. You can listen to Mind Talk On Demand by going to the Mind Talk website. You can also download the Mind Talk apps from Google Play or iTunes. And again, that's M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. And folks, remember always, if it's unacceptable then that's what it is.